powerful story of an incredible testimony of, of yet another person that Jesus has come in and wrecked their life. Anybody in here have your life turned upside down by Jesus? Give an amen. Because God is good, right? He is so faithful. Imagine a people that were so in love with God. Imagine people that showed so much love, that showed the love of God, that we didn't have to condemn anybody's sin. We just had to show them so much love that they realized that what they need is not their sin, not the things that they're pursuing, but they need what we have in Jesus. It should be the cry of our hearts. We shouldn't look at other people as sinners because we're all born sinners. Psalm 86, 11 challenged me here late last night and, and early this morning. Now let's share one verse. It's verse 11. It's not on the screen for you. But it says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness, on your truth. Because I pursued all these other truths that I thought in my quest for understanding what is true. But the only truth is in God's word. So teach me, God, your ways that I might rely on your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Undoubtedly, there's a lot of people that came into the room today with a lot of baggage, with a lot of hurts, with a lot of pains, with addictions, with things that are happening that nobody else in the room maybe knows about. The message I have for you today is titled, Unpacked Life Laundry. Life Laundry. We're here to confront all of our dirty laundry. We're going to hang it all out to dry. And this is the reality. It's not, it's not that we need to put it up on a clothesline for the world to see. But we need to recognize that God is such a forgiving and gracious God that you don't need to wallow in your sin. You don't, need to, you don't need to worry about your sin holding you, uh, you know, back because the reality is you can have victory and you can have victory in Christ. We're in Exodus chapter 19. I'm just going to share one verse right now and we'll get to the rest of it later. But it says this, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. It's time for us to do some laundry. How many of you love doing laundry? There weren't very many hands in the air. I grew up in a, in a home that was dedicated to going to church, and I praise God for that. And thankful that my parents, my mom especially, volunteered me for things at church. You know how that works. I was always signed up for things, and it made me interested in spiritual things, and I realized the value in serving others. Um, a couple of weeks ago, though, we went to camp, we have our junior high camp, we went to Grace Adventures, and you know that when you're on a junior high camp, there are some smells, and I can only imagine, you know, sorry moms or whoever did the laundry, you're coming back from Camp Impact, and the smells that come out of the suitcase are certainly making an impact on you, but this is the truth. I was at the camp and I was talking to one of the people there that was kind of overseeing our group. And she said, you know what? 
your junior high group is the best smelling group we've ever had. Isn't that amazing? So I applaud you, parents, and whoever along the way has been teaching. We try to instill that. Make sure you bring deodorant, all that kind of stuff. But that was, that was cool. But that type of unpacking after camp is not the unpacking that we're talking about. It's the word unpacked. It's, of course, spelt a little differently. It's time we get unpacked in this way, and I'll, I'll explain it to you. The un simply means this, to let go, to undo, and most specifically to be cleansed and to be changed. To get rid of the old way and to rest in the fact that God has greater things in store for you. We do that when we recognize the pact that we have with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most amazing things about God, is that he created the earth, but he wants a relationship with us. He's big enough to create the earth, but he's interested in a relationship with us. And when we recognize this pact that we have with the Holy Spirit, we understand these four things. He is our prayer partner, he's our advocate, he's our counselor, he's our teacher. And when I allow the Spirit to work in my life in these ways, I'm changed, I'm cleansed, I'm made new. Moses goes to the people and he says, it's time for us to do some laundry. It's time for us to clean up. It wasn't just about having clean shirts and about having clean pants. It's about cleaning up our lives. The Holy Spirit as my prayer partner means this. He helps me when I'm weak. When I don't know what to pray, when I don't know what to do, when I don't know how to respond, he comes in and he helps me. That's what it says in Romans 8. And this is the truth. What it really truly means is that I'm actually praying. See, we, we have a prayer partner, but if I'm not actually physically praying, then he can't come alongside of me and assist me and, and help me. The Holy Spirit is my advocate, which means that he's my representative. He reminds me of everything that he has ever said, which means that I'm not just praying, but I'm also listening to the movement of God, to God speaking into my life, maybe through another person, maybe through a circumstance, through his word. So I'm praying and I'm listening. And then the Holy Spirit as my counselor means that he's my helper. He comforts. He does not leave me. And this means that I'm, I'm actually willing to go to him for help. And then the Holy Spirit as my teacher means that he explains spiritual truths to me. Have you ever memorized verses and then you're going through something and all of a sudden that memory verse comes back to you? You've, you've kind of forgotten about it for all those years. But it comes, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life that he brings the truth back to you. But that's only because I am focused on God's word. When I'm focusing my attention on everything else, then God's word gets lost. And we, we push the, the voice of God out. We push the spirit and the conviction out. And we try to convince ourselves, just like she said in the, in the video, I've spent so much time casting all these thoughts of thinking, you're just judging me, you're just judging me, you're just judging me. So she came to the reality that we're sinners at birth, and I need saving. we got to pray, 
we got to listen, we got to trust, and we got to read his word. If we're not doing these things on a regular basis, the fragrance to the living sacrifice of our lives just stinks. Just flat out stinks. And so I have to ask you this morning, what did you come in with? Not just for the day, but what is the thing in the baggage that you carry every single day of the week? What is the thing that you're still struggling with, that you've struggled with for so long? Because it's, it's trying to get that stink out of our life. It's, it's nice to pretend like it doesn't matter, but it does matter. How many of you remember the stinky kid in class? You know who that is? How many of you were the stinky kid in class? Just sniff around. Maybe they're still around you today. Do you ever wonder why the stinky kid in class didn't know that he was a stinky kid? I actually think that in reality, that kid knew that they were stinky. They just didn't care. Because there's nobody in their life investing in them enough to show them that it matters. That you should take care of yourself. I thought, what an honor that we could bring a bunch of junior hires to a camp and they could actually notice that our kids are different even in smell. Because when God is truly working on you, you care. Not because it's about you, but because God deserves the best. While unloading the laundry from the dryer, mom discovers that her son's red crayon had gotten into the batch and it melted all over the white clothes. She was frantically scrubbing and hoping to get some of these nice shirts clean. When her son came by and she stopped, she stopped him and she explained to him, now listen, your crayon got into the wash and it ruined all these clothes. Don't worry, mom, he says. I have another red crayon. Yeah, kid perspective, right? As funny as it is, this is the approach that we have to the stink in our lives, too. Ignore the fact that it's affecting anyone else. Ignore the negative effects of it in my own life. I'm just going to do what I feel like doing because it feels good at the time. And it's the greatest problem. It's the greatest battle that we face with young people. And in the age of technology, it's, it's the battle we face even as adults. We're not okay. Your sin should not be held against you, but you also shouldn't hold yourself to your sin. You shouldn't judge people because of their sin, but at the same time, you shouldn't judge yourself either and think that you can't move forward when you can. I want you to understand there is a, a great difference. Most Christians, I would imagine, because I always thought of it this way, think there are two types of people. There's the lost person and there's the saved person. So... You either know Jesus or you don't know Jesus. And those are, that's, that's it. Those are the two types of people that would walk into a church. The saved or the unsaved. But the reality is, Paul corrects that thinking in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 by describing a third person. The saved person that is unspiritual. He says, brothers and sisters, I had to talk to you as I would to people without the spirit. Babies in Christ. You're still not spiritual because there is jealousy and quarreling among you. And this shows that you are not spiritual. You're acting like people of the world. Have you ever gotten so sick 
of looking just like the world, when you have claimed Christ as your Savior and you're supposed to look different, that should burden all of us, that we all have a little bit of the world in us because we do live here. There are effects of the world. There's something that we must do to overcome that. The spiritual person, the spiritual person is spirit-dependent. They're spirit-directed. They're spirit-dominated. They seek to walk in the spirit. Does that describe your life? And if not, what steps do we need to take towards actually being that spiritual person? Moses is going to help us all the way back in Exodus. The unspiritual person looks like this. They are the ones that in language, in lifestyle, with their personality, with everything that they are, they look and they blend in with the world. And unfortunately, the church as a general rule looks just like the world. It's not rock church. But as believers, there are so many people that have looked more like the world than they do like a Christian. And you wonder why people don't want to walk into the church. They let God save them, but they don't let God change them. That's some of us in the room. You've let God come into your life because you needed salvation, but you're not willing to change the things that need to change. How many of you need to change something? You put up your hands because you know there's something in my life that needs to change. There are plenty of things in my life that I need to change. God is in the business of changing lives. The people that are the Christians but are unspiritual, those are the people that I think about like this because I'm, I'm working on my house. They, they put in, like say you build a new house or you're renovating an old house. You put in an electrical panel. You run all these wires, you put in switches, you put in lights, you power everything up, and then at nighttime you still light candles to see your way through the darkness. That's what we're doing. You know how silly it is? Another perspective would be this. You put gas in your vehicle, you take your key and you start the vehicle up. You gather the family inside and you put it in a neutral and you get behind the vehicle and you push it to church. Did anybody do that this morning? You know how ridiculous that would look for you to be pushing your vehicle down the road to get it to work. We have the power, but we're not using it. God has offered, he's offered his hand in our lives and we're, we're slapping him in the face. The absolute first step, and this is, what, this is what Moses is trying to get across, the absolute first step towards power in your life is purity. Our passage takes place in Exodus 19. It's in Exodus 20, the very next chapter, where, where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Before the people could experience God's presence or obey any commandment, God tells Moses, wash up. Because you're entering into the presence of God, you need to wash up. You need to recognize something about who God is. You won't even receive if you're not first clean. You know why most people don't receive from God is because they're holding, they're judging their own sin against them. They're looking at other people and judging their sin against them. And the reality is that all of our sin has been washed clean. Matthew 5a said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You will see God because of your purity. When we get back to our passage, it says, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. 
have them wash their clothes. In reality, that seems really trivial. Why do I need to go wash my clothes? Come on. You know, it's like trying to teach a, a young person, teaching your kids as they grow up, teaching a teenager how important it is to clean up your room and to make your bed and to wash your face and to take a shower and to brush your teeth, all those simple little things. But you know that throughout a lifetime of not brushing your teeth, what happens? Through a lifetime of not making your bed, what happens? You don't have that discipline in your life and it will shape every other part of your life as well. Sounds trivial, but what is trivial to us is often the most profoundly powerful statement in Scripture. So when you're reading God's word and you see something that is trivial, you think, okay, this might be actually more important than what I think. So I better pay attention. It's actually the reason why the Jews missed the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. They knew what they were looking for, and he was standing them right, staring at them in the eye, and they missed him. How many of us are missing what God is doing right in front of our eyes? You know what the biggest problem is? I, I don't often go to the Christian bookstore, but I stop in there once in a while to get stuff like we're getting ready for a Mexico trip, so we're going to bring a book with us. I was just kind of seeing what was out there. And, and you go down, it was specifically like in the youth area, and I saw the one-minute Bible and the 10 minutes with God thing, and the two minutes with God, and the three minutes with God, and I'm thinking, that's the problem. That's the problem with our culture. We're only giving God just a fraction of the day, and we think, oh, I put my time in, and that's, that's good enough. We like to ignore the trivial things. Instead, we're always looking for something earth-shaking. But the truth is, little is much when God is in it, right? Little is much. When God, and when I think about different people and the ways that God used people throughout all of Scripture, I think of the 300 men with torches, clay pots, and trumpets, and they won a victory with Gideon. See, God, the way that we look at it is we have these thousands of men to go in and defeat this enemy. And God says, no, I'm going to strip you down, strip you down, strip you down. You only need 300 men. And Gideon's like, what? 300 people, what am I going to do with 300? And they walk in, you know what they did? They had their torches, and they put a clay pot over top of their torch so that it wouldn't glow real bright. These are the tools they used to defeat their enemy. And then they held a trumpet in the other hands. And when they approached them in the middle of the night, they smashed their clay pots, which revealed the light, and they blew their trumpets to where the people inside the city, woke up in a frantic, swinging their swords around, ultimately killing each other. Little is much. We think we need all this stuff. We think we need all this power. We think we need enough strength or courage to do this or that. But what we need is God. Marching around the city several times for several days, a shout and a sound of the trumpet once again brought the walls of Jericho down. It seems trivial to be walking around the city. It seems silly to be doing that with your life. But the reality is that long obedience in your life is what makes the greatest impact. And we, we miss out on that because we stop short. What it took was simple obedience. God exerts his power in our obedience. And it doesn't happen tomorrow. It doesn't just happen because you chose to be obedient one time. It's because you've been obedient. 
It's only trivial to us because we don't see the way that God sees. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we should begin to have the mind of Christ so our thinking would be just like that of Christ. Time to wash up. In fact, this is the reality. God goes to Moses and Moses goes to the people with a message from God. Wash up. If God is calling you to wash up, you should expect that God is doing something in your life. If someone is coming into your life and they're saying, hey, I just want to, you know, just share something with you. I need to confront you. If somebody is willing and loving enough to speak into your life, that's the moment that you should stop and you should really think, this is a message from God to slow me down. We don't like to slow down. God is always up to good in your life. Always. He's always ready to do something radical. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's, he's calling us to be clean, to be a vessel that is used by him in mighty, powerful ways. How are you missing it? In what ways do you need to clean up? Most of the time we can't even see it, we don't even believe it. Either that or our, our view is just skewed, another laundry illustration. There's a young couple that bought a house in a new neighborhood. And the first morning they're there, they're eating breakfast. They look out the window and they see the neighbor next door hanging her laundry, but it was filthy, dirty laundry. She says to her husband, what? What is she doing? Hanging her dirty laundry on the line. Does she think it's going to rain that hard and it's going to and he's like, well, maybe you should go help her out, talk to her, explain, you know, how to wash your clothes. He said, well, we're new to the neighborhood. We can't do that. So time after time after time after time, she's saying the same thing to her husband. He's saying the same thing to her. And a month later, she looks out the window and she says, I can't believe it. She, she figured it out. Somehow she's figured it out. What's, what's happened? And the husband looks at her and she, he says, I got up early this morning and I washed our windows. So many times, we're too busy looking at everyone else's laundry. We fail to focus on the dirt that's in our own lives. It's the way it is with life. We like to point out everybody else's problems, but we don't want to recognize or believe that we have a problem. It's way harder to change. It's way, way easier to point out how everyone else needs to change. The Moses... Instructed his people to wash up, to do their laundry. God is teaching discipline. He's trying to get across to them and to us to understand the most important principle. And as we dig into this passage, let me read more. Verse 10 again says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. It goes on to say by be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. So God is coming down on the mountain. His very presence is going to be revealed to the people. 
And he says, make sure the people understand. They need to be clean before they even approach. So set up a perimeter around the mountain. Don't even step foot. How many of you came to church today and were preparing on the way to receive from God? That's most of the time the problem is that we're not preparing. We're not expecting the presence of God. And so then we, we're walking out the door complaining about this and that, but we didn't come in expecting God to do anything or willing to serve someone else. I picture it like, you know, first of all, the quickest way to get someone to touch something is to tell them not to touch it. So you know that about kids, but how many of us adults are just like that? You like to just, you, you know, we, we have a skit that we do in Mexico. It's called the chair skit. And there's a chair, and there's a sign on the chair. It's in Spanish that says, don't touch. So the first person comes along, and they, they see this chair and a sign that says, don't touch. And they're just walking by. But because it says, don't touch, they actually are like, well, why can't I touch it? So naturally, there's a test. Well, it didn't do anything to me. And eventually, this chair is too, too high for me to really illustrate it, but eventually they get down in the chair and they find themselves stuck to the chair. And it represents, when you flip the sign over later in the skit, it says sin. We get stuck in our sin and, and all these people try to come and they're all helping and then they get stuck to the chair and eventually you have four people stuck to this chair, but there's one guy that comes in and says, what you need is Jesus to cleanse you of your sin. You can't help but wonder if the same question was, was not asked of the Israelite people. Why can't we go up to the mountain? Like God is going to be there. We want to be in the presence of God. Why can't we just approach that? You can imagine that there was even a test. And it probably wasn't them trying to test it. It was like that pesky neighbor, you know, like, hey, just mow a little bit further up the mountain over there. You know how that works? You test it out. Let's see what happens to you. Or I'm sick of this gerbil or something that you have in the house. And so it says, well, any animal that crosses over, I'm just going to throw this gerbil in there and see. It's going to be struck by lightning. What's God going to do? May, may not have been quite that bad, but certainly the question came up, why can't we touch the mountain? And maybe it stems from childhood because you know how children are with delicate things in the house. No matter what, you can have all their plastic toys all over the living room floor, and they're over there touching the most valuable thing you have in the house. But Moses would have answered this way, you people need to respect the nature of God as holy. Holy means to be set apart. God wants us to recognize and respect that he's, that he's different than us. And there's an element in our lives often, in my life I, I know this without any question, that I, that I even forget, that I just, I let that pass by, that God is not holy, that I don't need to prepare to come. And I always, I always appreciate every time, Pastor, that I am able to preach. Because one of the things that it does is it helps you to realize how much you need to be holy, how much you need to prepare. And I'm telling you, every single one of you needs to get involved in something. Because that involvement forces you to think, well, I can't teach these kids. 
I can't even lead these kids in a game if I'm not, if I'm not clean in my own life. How can I be a testimony to them? The reality is this, what becomes too familiar to us, we often don't respect. How many of you ever got a new car or a new to you car? In the beginning, it was like every single week, we're washing it out, we're, you know, that's, that's the reality. Your new car goes from vacuumed and washed every single week to God help us. How many of you have that God help us car? It's just riddled with God only knows what. I, I won't say who, but I borrowed a, a vehicle once, and I'm not kidding. I, I, pulled, I pulled a hamburger out of the back corner that had maggots on it. That was awesome. It was delicious, too. <laughs> then, then there's, like, the speed limit, and that's what reminds me of. Mr. Port, not this port. I don't know where Connor's at. Connor, you in the room? He's way in the back over there. We were laughing at him. Everybody's making fun of him in the internship, the first week of internship. Because when he drives, he drives the speed limit. And all of us probably kind of started there. Because you just appreciate having a license. And it's like, oh, this is great. But you know how that works. Like, that starts to go away really fast. Once you realize I'm late for work or I'm frustrated with this or that and life changes but this is the reality I had a youth leader when I was a teenager his name was John he uh was just like that and we we always made fun of actually he was worse he actually always went like five under the speed limit it was the most frustrating thing you get in the vehicle and we'd be driving down the highway and be like why are you going so slow but then there was a time when John explained to us why he even drives that slow and it caught our attention. This is what God does to us because it was something that caught his attention. Back in his days, he was really wild. He didn't get saved until he was in his 20s. And so up until that time, he was just extremely wild with his life. And he and a bunch of friends had those motorcycles. And they would just be all over the road doing catwalks down the road and just real wild and out partying and all these different things. So one of the times, this, the story that he shared us shared with us, he said, we were driving on our motorcycles, you know, the typical over 100 miles an hour down these stretches of road, and one of his friends lost control of his bike. He hit the curb, which caused the back of his, vehicle, of his motorcycle to, to go up, and he was shot through the air until he was clotheslined by a power line, decapitating him. And every single one of his friends watched it all happen. And John was telling us as teenagers, right after that happened, every single one of us sold our motorcycles. He says, I was not the same person from that moment on. And it wasn't long after that where he actually found Christ and surrendered his life to what God's purpose was for him. It's hard to imagine why God would allow one person to die so that others could find him. But God has a purpose in everything. And when you put your trust in him, there are a couple other examples of not respecting things that we ought to respect. There's, there were women and children. I don't know if you've read about this before. This is like a history book type thing. Women and children took their picnic lunches to watch the first battle of our nation's civil war. Because they thought it was just going to be this little, you know, skirmish between the two of them, whatever. They ended up fleeing for their lives. 
There were those that took lawn chairs to the ridge of Mount St. Helens in 2004 when it began to erupt again. They didn't have to flee for their lives, but they're watching one of the most powerful and unpredictable forces on earth as if it were a tennis match. And this is the way that we approach God so often. We just flippantly think, well, God is God and he's just going to do his thing no matter what. So I'm just, I can do whatever I want to. And so many people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? And my response is always, there are no good people. So just rest in that first. But the reality is God uses those things to draw you closer. Moses is trying to make a statement to the Israelites and to us, remember God as holy. Respect, unfortunately, is a thing of the past. It's not. But our generation that is rising up, the young people think that they don't have to respect anyone or anything. And it's sad because to be respected, I mean to be respectful is what I meant to say, to be godly, to be righteous, is actually looked down upon rather than looked up to. I was just sharing that yesterday as I read in this book called Ethics. You know, Josh McDowell, his son, Sean McDowell, wrote this book, Ethics. It's kind of for uh, young people. But he shares the story about Vin Diesel playing in a movie years, years ago. And He's this notorious person that's known for just being wild and crazy. And, and he is actually interviewed saying, we've made a new kind of movie, a new kind of hero, a hero that doesn't give a blank about anything. That's what he says in the interview. That's the kind of people that our young people are looking up to, that you can do whatever you want. You can just live for the moment, do whatever. So... As a result, there is no respect for anything or anyone. There's not even a respect for their own lives. I remember working at a greenhouse. I, I started when I was in sixth grade. I went to the door, I knocked on the door, and this guy came out. His hair was like this. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning. He was just waking up out of bed. He owned the greenhouse. I said, I'm looking for a job. And he says, come back tomorrow at the same time. The next day I come back. I knock on the door, same exact thing happens. He's crawling out of bed. He's like, come back tomorrow at 9 o'clock. So I come back the next day, and he is out in the greenhouse. So his wife sends me out there. And I worked for him. His name was John, too. Got a lot of Johns in my life. So the reality is uh, I worked for him for like five years up until they moved when I was a junior in high school. And I remember one time when it was just a small little greenhouse, and it was just him and his wife running the whole place and us as teenagers. We went to punch out one day. The boss was gone on some delivery. We went out to punch out, and next to the time clock, back in this little cubby hole, was like $800 in cash just sitting there. Like someone was stupid enough to leave cash. And right away, right at that moment, all the guys were like, dude, if that's like 200 bucks for each one of us. And I just I rose my hands right at that point and just said, I'm out. Don't even, and, and they were totally cool with it because they each got a few bucks more each. But there was something inside of me. I, I can picture two times in my life where I said no when I had no inkling in my mind to want to even say no. I wanted to actually say yes. I wanted to jump in. But there was something inside of me. There was the Holy Spirit inside of me that was moving and saying, don't you dare take that step. That was my instant. I don't even know what it was. It wasn't because I had such great character. 
But I just made that decision, said I'm not even going to go one step into that because I knew the consequences. Respect is important. We've lost the respect for God. And so God allows things into our life to make us have to respect him, to get our eyes fixed back on him. We need a little wake-up call sometimes, and Moses is trying to get that across to the Israelites. Wash up. He instructs the people, God's presence is here before us. He's going to reveal himself to us. Prepare yourselves. God's going to show up. How many of you expected God to do something today? Because I hope, I hope that we showed up expecting God to do something, not not in that person over there because she has blue hair. It's not, it's not that. It's, it's not because Moses is so terrible. We, we're praying that God falls on him. It's what about me? In what ways do I need to change? God's going to show up and he, so he says, don't touch the mountain. Don't even go near it because you will face death. Stay off the mountain. And I want you to understand, it sounds silly, it sounds trivial, but I want you to see also the irony in who God is and how God operates. God is holy and therefore untouchable. But God at the same time so loves that he created us with his own hands. Psalm 119 says, your hands made me and formed me. It's amazing that an all-powerful, magnificent creator God wants to touch my life and wants to touch your life too. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Hebrews refers back to Exodus, the passage that we're talking about, and he's speaking now after Christ has been on the scene, and it says this from the message version, Hebrews 12. Unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, all that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble, rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words, the soul-shaking message terrified them, and they begged him to stop. They actually said, stop talking to us, God, because it's too much. We can't take your presence, and that would be how it is. When they heard the words, if an animal touches the mountain, it's as good as dead. They were afraid to move. Even Moses was terrified. No, that is not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides. The invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. It is a city where God is judged with judgments that make us just. You've come to Jesus who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He is the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, a homicide that cried out for vengeance, became a proclamation of grace. God extends his grace. There is a mountain of fear. That was Mount Sinai. Where God was resting on the mountain where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But there's also a mountain of joy. And what Jesus has done has made access to God something that we can reach. It used to be that you went through the priest. Now it's, we just we pray in the name of Jesus for him to fall, for his presence to fall in this place. That you would walk out of here recognizing that God has a greater purpose for your life. Greater than all the stress and all the troubles and all the things that you walked into this room with. God is ready to change you, but you must be willing. It's vital that we understand fear and that we recognize joy. We must understand fear in order to understand cleansing. 
So that's what Moses was trying to get across to the people. You need to clean up. You need to change what you look like, how you're living, the things in your life. There are very few of us that have come in here without some sort of filth in our lives that doesn't need to be cleaned up. Exodus 19 goes on to say, the Lord descended on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. And the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people. Do not for, make sure they don't force their way through to see the Lord. And many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the, to the Lord, people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain. Set it apart as holy. There is a point to where you recognize that God is holy and you have a fear and a reverence of who God is. And then there's also the recognition that even though he is holy, he also makes us clean in Christ so that we can actually be in the presence of God. But most of the time we don't receive anything from God. We don't change because we're so consumed with our own desires. We must understand fear in order to understand this cleansing. Do you want to live large or do you want to live puny? If you want to live with great faith and have great impact, you must be disciplined, you must be wise, you must fear God. And most people are living puny lives because they don't have these things in their lives. Proverbs 10, 27 says the fear of God expands your life. A wicked life is a puny life. I think there are more people that claim to be Christians living wicked than they are living holy. And it's a sad reality. But those that actually claim Christ and serve him with their life, they know the difference. You can tell the difference. Unfortunately, it's the ones that are dirty that speak the loudest. And it's the ones that are clean that we don't do enough speaking into people to see lives change. People think they're really living when they rebel. Most of us have been in that context. We think that this is life. This is the best thing that I could possibly. When they were on those motorcycles and cruising, they thought this is living. But God has a purpose for your life. And it's not to live rebellious. It's not to live how you want to live. It's not to live this puny life. More young people today are depressed than any other generation. And it's because they've lost their purpose. They're not engaged in anything of purpose. They're not doing anything with their life that would give them purpose. They're, they're so consumed with self that God will just put them on a shelf. They'll never amount to anything. The fear of God in your life will depend on whether you live powerfully or puny. If you fear God, that means that you believe that God exists. If you believe that God exists, then you must also recognize that he is going to do something in your life. A fear of God is not some phobia. It's not like being afraid of something, like afraid of spiders. It's not some phobia. It's a starting point of something greater in your life. And it's time that we recognize and have that fear of God because the fear of God in your life will change your life. It will turn you into something different, something new. 
Everybody wants to be the hero, but nobody wants to be disciplined to get to that hero status. Nobody wants to learn and, and go through the process of becoming a hero. They just want to be bit by a spider and become Spider-Man. It doesn't work that way. It only comes because you make your bed every morning. It comes because you take care of yourself and you brush your teeth. Caterpillar can remain and die a caterpillar or it can accept the reality of the cocoon and undergo a change. When you have authority in your life, when you have rules and guidelines in your life, that's your cocoon. It seems restricting, it seems like irritating at times and you're frustrated about things because you don't like people speaking into your life, but that's your cocoon. It's where you learn discipline. It's where you change because it's where you stay. You hear that? It's where you change because it's where you stay. See, when the caterpillar gets into the cocoon, there's no coming out until they're prepared to come out as a butterfly. The greatest problem that we have in America is that we have options. Too many options. If I don't like it here, I'll go someplace else. If I don't like this spouse, I'll find a different spouse. Too many options with our media and technology. Oh, you have the better phone than I do. I'm going to go get the better, the better phone than that phone. I'm, there's, all, there's this competing thing in, in every aspect of our lives. But this is what I want to close with is place yourself where you can't leave. Place yourself in the cocoon. The best thing that my parents could have done is volunteered me for things, placing me in a cocoon. Because it's there that I found protection, and it's there that I found my purpose, and I had a reason to be a part of the church. It wasn't just some fun place to go hang out with friends. It was actually I am the church. I'm a young person, but I, I grew up recognizing that I am every single aspect of youth ministry that I've had since I started in youth ministry is that there, it's not just a youth group. It's that youth group and every single teenager is part of a church. You know why we, we bring them to men's Bible study? Because they're not just a part of some youth group. They're a part of this church. You know how incredible it is to see a young person actually rise up and want to serve in the church and want to do something for God? There are three different types of people in the room. The saved, the unsaved, and then there's the saved but unspiritual. And I want you right now just to close your eyes and separate yourselves from every other thing and every other thought and every other distraction in the people that may be even distracting around you. How many Christians in the room would just say, and be honest, this is between you and God specifically. How many of you Christians in the room that just say, I need to wash up? There is, there is an aspect. Just put up your hand to God and say, oh, God, I need, to, I need to wash up. I want the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Move, Jesus, move in their lives. The fact that, God, we are obedient enough to actually say, that's me, God. I, I, I surrender, God, to you. 
I trust God in you to change me. I know what salvation is. I know that I was saved, me personally, when I was in third grade. And there was something so real about it that God was actually calling me to do missions. I didn't go into missions, but the reality, it was a step of faith towards doing what God wanted me to do. That's for each of you. For everybody that had their hand raised, it's for you to say, man, I, I, need, to, I need to clean up. God, would your presence be known in every single one of our lives? Would your presence fall on us as we recognize that you, God, are holy, but yet you extend your hand into our lives and you want to touch us in a real, in a powerful way to bring your power right here on earth. With your eyes closed still, is there anybody in the room that just says, you know what, I'm not saved. I don't know Jesus that you talk about. I don't know what's going to happen when I go to heaven. Right now is an opportunity that we can talk to you. We can explain that to you. We can open the scripture with you and show you that Jesus saves. Is there anyone in the room that just says, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I, I want to know. Just put up your hand right now because it's an opportunity to take that step of faith into what God really has for your life. You can look up here. If you're in the room and you're like something stirring inside of you and you're thinking, I wanted to raise my hand, but I don't know. I mean, there's all these Christians around and I don't know if they're going to judge me or, or what they're going to think. If you're not saved, you're sitting in this room and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, don't think that you have to have it all together. Because there is not a single person in this room that has it all together. You don't have to have all the pieces of the puzzle in order to be saved. Just recognize that God is the one that saves and he saves through Jesus. And if you're a Christian in the room and it's, it's time to maybe just step it up and to make that change in your life. And, and I'll, I'll be the first one to say I'm, I'm right there with you. But I need to change. We need to be the church. We need to recognize that the cocoon is good. We need to place ourselves where we can't leave. Because we're, when you're in the cocoon, it's, it's, you, you change because you can't, you can't go anywhere else. You're, you're forced to be in that context. So would God bless every single person. God, go before us this week. Prepare the way. I pray that we would, we would prepare ourselves, not just on Sundays, but every single day, to be wide open, God, to your speaking into our lives. That we do pray that we do put our trust in you, that we do listen, God, to you, that we do read your word, because that is our guide, that is our map, that is our direction in life, in Jesus' name.